Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, heart and wait for the Lord. Thank you, Carl. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that as we reflect on these words of David, uh, written thousands of years ago, that you would speak to us today, that uh, by your Holy Spirit you would uh, open your word to us, that we would receive it in faith, and that you would enable us to grow in trust or to trust you for the first time. Uh, and we ask it so that you might be honoured by us believing you uh, and trusting you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, most people, I think, are afraid of something. <laughs> I have a saying, uh, it's my worst nightmare. It's, uh, I say that all the time about everything. Uh, and some people have said, uh, it seems like a lot of things are your worst nightmare, Carl. Uh, but every, everybody is afraid of something. Uh, it might be a fear of spiders or a fear of heights uh, or a fear of flying or a fear of busy places, a fear of dark places, a fear of confined spaces, uh, a fear of the future or a fear of the uncertain. As I listened to the radio this morning, as I listened to the news, I thought to myself, well, actually, there's lots of things to be afraid of, isn't there? Uh, there was a man arrested yesterday in Victoria who, who was arrested because the police suspected he intended to do harm to uh, Australian citizens as he was from a far-right group and he wanted to 
uh, harm people. Uh, China yesterday sailed a number of Coast Guard ships and 230 fishing vessels close to Japanese territorial waters. That's in addition to the existing build-up of naval forces in the South China Sea. Uh, In Belgium, two police officers were attacked by a man wielding a machete. Or we might think of the prospect of a man like Donald Trump gaining the sole discretionary power to launch nuclear weapons. There's so many reasons, I think, for us to be afraid. Uh, Some fears that we have are irrational. So the fear of heights is, I think, largely irrational. Uh, Usually the thing that we're standing on is strong enough to to hold us up. Uh, You're probably as safe on the top of a tall building as you are walking along the side of the road on the footpath. Some fears are irrational, but other fears are Rational, they make sense. Uh, Fear of having your leg cut off without an anaesthetic, for instance, you're probably right to be afraid if that was going to happen. It's probably a very sensible fear. Uh, War, I think, you're right to be afraid in war. If you're on the front line of, of a war, you're right to have some kind of fear. Fear keeps you alert, and that's probably sensible. A fear of hell is a reasonable fear, fear of eternity without God. Some degree of uh, fear of hell makes sense. It's not for no reason that Jesus continually warns people uh, about hell. But whether our fears are well-grounded or not, fear can sometimes still be crippling. It can be debilitating. It can keep you awake at night. Uh, It can keep you from eating. It can keep you from enjoying anything in life. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at psalms that deal with darkness and distress and difficult times in the Christian life. We've dealt with things like being far from God, guilt, melancholy, despair, disillusionment. This morning, we're thinking about fear. Psalm 27 is a psalm of someone who is dealing with fear, and it's a psalm that is there to help us to deal with the fears that we face as well. It helps us to deal, I think, with irrational fears, and it also helps us to deal with rational fears. It helps us to deal with even those fears that we have very good reason for, the fears uh, that we have good reasons uh, for having. Well, strangely enough, the opening words of this psalm sound like the words of a person who is not afraid. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But although those words seem very positive, as you read through the rest of the psalm, as you get a little bit further on, you begin to discover that these are not the words of a person who has triumphed over fear, but a person who is actually in the midst of fear and is trying to encourage themselves. They're the words of someone who's fighting fear. So verse 10, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O my God. David is actually in the middle of a crisis and what he is doing through this psalm is trying to address the fears that he has. And the first way that he does that in those opening words is to speak to himself and to examine himself. Verse 1 again, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
We saw the writer of Psalm 42 a few weeks ago do a, a very similar thing. David is talking to himself, questioning himself on the reasons that he has for being afraid. And he's encouraging himself, uh, arguing with himself and saying, no matter what is going on, there is no good reason to be afraid. God is my light and my salvation. So who could I possibly be afraid of? If God is on my side, what is there that I have to fear? If the Lord is the stronghold of my life, what can anyone do to me? If God is a big fortress surrounding me, why should I be afraid? It's so important when we're afraid to remind ourselves of who God is, to remind ourselves of who is for us and who is against us. So you might be afraid at the moment or you might come up against something this week or or in the next few months that makes you afraid In that circumstance, what you need to do is to remind yourself of who is for you. That is, God is for you. And as Paul says, if God is for you, then who can be against you? Who can can do anything to harm you? If God stands at your side, what can anyone do that God hasn't allowed? Will God let you be utterly overcome? No, he won't. What could possibly happen to you that is beyond God's power or plan? It's important to ask those questions. Why am I afraid? What what can happen to me that's beyond God's power? David reasons that out a little bit further in the next couple of verses with some worst-case scenarios. Uh, For the pessimists among us, I think this uh, this really speaks to us. Verse 2, When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. The first scenario is people attacking David to devour his flesh. It's a pretty graphic and awful picture of of uh, how these people are responding to David. The second scenario is a whole army besieging him, a war breaking out against him. Now, it could be that those are things that he's facing as he's writing this psalm, but it seems much more likely that what he's doing is imagining the worst possible scenario and saying, even in that situation, even then, I'm not going to be afraid. Even then, I'll be confident because even then, God is on my side. Even then, God is still going to help me. Even if things get as bad as that, God can, can still help me in that situation, and if he can help me in that situation, if he can help me in the worst situation, then he can help me in the much less worse situation that I'm in at the moment. He can help me in my smaller trouble that I'm facing now. I think that's so helpful uh, for thinking about, uh, for instance, in the life of our church and what our church might face. So we might ask the question, well, what if something happens and this church is destroyed? I don't mean the building. Well, you might include that as well. What, 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 happens, what if something happens and this church is destroyed? What if we try something and it doesn't work? And actually that leads to the church crumbling and everyone going elsewhere. What if we try something and it causes difficulties? Will we be afraid? No, God is still in control. 
What if there's a massive division over an issue or over a person? What if someone from outside the church brings a lawsuit against the church because of something that we teach? Or what if they go to the papers to try and embarrass us and undermine our ministry? Will we be afraid? Will we think it's impossible to continue after that? Will we think that the sky has fallen in? Or will we trust God? Will we be confident, though an army besiege me? What if we as a church have to face a a case of abuse? Should we be afraid? No, even in that we can trust God. Even in the worst situations that we can possibly imagine, we can still trust God. David says, even if a whole army battalion besieges me, even if I'm tortured to death, I'll still be confident because I know that God is with me. And you might be able to think of other situations where you've had to wrestle through trusting God in the face of fear. Uh, And this psalm is helpful for those as well. I remember a mother saying to me, uh, once that she came to the realisation that she couldn't spend her whole life consumed with fear over what might happen to her children. Uh, there's so many things that can go wrong. There's so many uh, safety devices that you can buy, safety equipment that you can buy to make sure that things don't go wrong. And you can spend your life buying every single one of those. You can get everything that there is and still live a life bound up in fear. What if I have a car accident and I lose my child? What if my child has an accident and is wounded for life? What if I stuff up parenting and my child doesn't achieve their full potential? Eventually, you have to come to the point where you say, I have to trust God that the life of my children is in his hands. I can't guarantee that they'll be safe and I can't worry about them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And even if I do, actually, that doesn't help anything. It doesn't fix anything. And we can apply the same kind of reasoning to other things. If I fail this exam, will my life be over? No, God is still in control. God is still smarter than I am. God knows what's best. If this has happened, God must be doing it for a good reason. If I spend six hours preparing my Sunday school lesson or preparing for a growth group uh, and then it doesn't go as well as I thought, if it's an absolute catastrophe and every question is met by ten minutes of, ten minutes of silence and awkwardness, can I still go on? Yes, you can still go on. God is still in control. Reasoning through God's help in the worst case scenarios not only helps us when we're in fear, when we're in the midst of fear, but it also trains us to deal with fear when it comes, or to deal with fear, trains us before fear comes. So thinking about the future and resolving to trust God in those situations already now is an important way to train us so that when those crises come, we can actually survive them. 
So what are your worst case scenarios? What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? What's the thing that you would find it in which you'd find it the hardest to trust God? What you need to do is to train yourself now not to be afraid. To say, even if that happens, I'll trust God. Even if that happens, I'll be confident. And you need to say to God, help me to prepare myself now for when those difficult things come. You need to learn to say now, even if they happen, I'll trust God. My worst fear, one of my worst fears is losing my parents. My parents are a great source of support to me and I always, that always makes me afraid. And I realised recently that I need to start praying now that God would prepare me and equip me for when that day comes. Because if I don't, it will come, because it will come, won't it? And I won't be prepared. That's one of my great prayers now. Lord, please prepare me for when that day comes. And I think there are lots of things like that. that Fears that we have that we need to say to God, please prepare me now for when that day comes. Because if we don't, the day will come and we'll be unprepared for it. And we might still survive it, but it will be so much harder than it would have been if we had have trained ourselves in advance. So David fights fear by thinking about the worst case scenarios and then reminding himself that God is bigger than all of the things that he might face. The second thing he does to fight fear is he sets his heart on God. Verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David wants to live with God. He wants to live with God every day of his life. He wants to be near God. He wants to see God. Uh, He wants to behold God with his own eyes. He wants to see his glory, to taste his goodness. He wants to worship in his presence. There is, of course, kind of an ultimate sense to what God is saying. So to be with God in person is to be ultimately delivered from fear. But more immediately, David's desire is to experience the nearness of God now. So there's an ultimate hope one day we'll be near God, but actually David wants to be near God even already now. And the reason is... Because he knows that with God's presence comes protection. So verse 5, For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe. He will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. My head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. As David sets his heart on God, as he meditates on God, as he desires God and worships God, as he reflects on who God is and what it's like to be near God, that actually chases his fear away. He's afraid, but he says to himself, one thing I seek, one thing I desire is to be near God. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And as he does that, it chases the fear away. Our worship of God, our meditation of God on God, our reflection on God chases our fears away because we're reminded, do you see, of who God is. The more our hearts are filled with a grand picture of God, the more our hearts recognize the power of God, the love of God the more we reflect on the humiliation and triumph of Jesus, the more we wonder at the cross 
and the death of Jesus and the powerful resurrection of Jesus, the more it chases our fear away because we're reminded of who the God is that we serve. We're reminded of the God whose children we are. The more time we spend in communion with God, the more time we spend sowing to the Spirit, the more our lips are filled with the praise and honour of God, the more we strive to be near God, the more our fear dissipates and ebbs away. That's true ultimately. So to be in the presence of God ultimately is to have all our fear cast aside. But even now, to know the nearness of the Spirit and the greatness of Christ and the majesty of our Heavenly Father, to know that stills and quiets our soul. The more we delight in God and desire God and honour God and praise God, the more our fear ebbs away. And you don't have to be in church to do that. In fact, in order for our meditation and desire of God to chase fear away, that has to be a constant part of our life. It has to be not just today, not just this morning, but it needs to be in every aspect of our lives. When we're afraid, we need to say, no, that's right, that's the God that I seek, isn't it? Yes, I'll praise that God, the God who, who died for me, the God who broke the power of death, the God who was raised from the dead, the God who healed the sick and Recover and healed the sight of the blind. We need to do it not only in church, but we need to do it in all of our lives. But actually, if we don't meet together to do it at least once a week, we'll actually find it very difficult to do it in the rest of our lives as well. Because we so easily lose sight of the glory of God. And what we desperately, desperately need is for other people to remind us of that. We get stuck, don't we, as I've said so many times before, we get stuck in the echo chambers of our own mind. And we hear the fears go over and over and over and over and over again in our heads. And we think, no, I've got to praise God, but it's too hard. And what we need is people to speak into our lives and to say, you need to trust in God. See how good he is? Every promise of our God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We sang that a few weeks ago. We sang it last week at the baptism. We need to be reminded of that. And unless other people are saying that, unless we're gathering together to hear that, it's so difficult for us to replicate that in the rest of our lives. Worship of God, our worship of God, fights away fear because it reminds us of who God is. So David fights fear by thinking about the worst case scenario and by reminding himself of who God is, he fights fear by setting his heart on God and worshipping God and meditating on God. Third, he fights fear by calling out to God. Well, we shouldn't be surprised by that. That's what he's done. Uh, that's what has happened in all the other Psalms, isn't it? Verse 7, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. David calls out to God for help. He tells, uh, his heart tells him to do that, and he does it. And as he does that, he prays for three things. He prays that God wouldn't forsake him or leave him. Verse 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. 
You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. He prays that God uh, wouldn't reject him. He wouldn't turn away from him. He wouldn't forsake him. Next, he prays that God would teach him his ways. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. So part of his fear is not just that God will uh, let him go. Part of his fear is that because of all the things that are coming against him, he might actually wander away from God. That can happen, can't it? In difficult times, we think, well, I can't be stuffed following God anymore. Or, or just in the way that we deal with those difficult times, we actually walk away into, uh, into unrighteousness and sin. So David prays that that wouldn't happen. Third, he prays that his enemies wouldn't triumph over him. Verse 12, Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. What David is doing here is laying out all the dimensions of his fear before God and asking God to deal with them. So if we're afraid, what we need to do is to ask ourselves, ourselves, what is it that I'm afraid of? And to deal with that by acknowledging that to God and then asking him to do something about it. So you might be afraid like David that God will forsake you. Uh, You might be afraid that he won't save you from your sin or that uh, he won't be with you as you face whatever the difficulty is that you're going through at the moment. Well, why not acknowledge that fear to God to say, God, I'm worried that you're going to forsake me and then ask God that he won't. Or you might be afraid like David that you'll wander away from God. You might be really tempted by something at the moment and you're worried actually that that temptation is so strong, so powerful, so overwhelming that you will give into it uh, and that you'll walk away from the gospel. Uh, You might be facing some really challenges, serious challenges to your faith. So you might be dealing with intellectual arguments that someone has presented against the gospel and you're worried that that you'll fall victim to those, that, you, that you'll believe them. Why not acknowledge those fears to God and to pray that God would watch over you and keep you and protect you? You see, so often I think we're afraid, but we never actually tell God about that. We just continue to face our fears. or well, we don't actually even face them, we just continue to be afraid by them. You might be afraid of the future or afraid of marriage or afraid that your marriage will fall apart or afraid that you'll lose your job or your house or afraid that you'll lose your health or afraid about your kids growing up and what they'll do with their lives or afraid of leaving school and finding a job, not knowing what purpose you have in life, what you're going to do. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, you can tell God about it and you can plead with him to help you. But even as David is telling God about his fears and asking him to help, he's also encouraging himself with truths about God. As he pleads with God, he also begins to encourage himself. He says in verse 10, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. He's doing some more of that worst case scenario thing. Even if his mum and dad left him, well, God's not going to leave him. 
God will receive him. God will help him. When there's nowhere else to go, God will still be there. Even as we're crying out to God, it's so important to remind ourselves that our prayers aren't empty prayers. That our prayers aren't falling on deaf ears. That God won't forsake us, that God will actually answer our prayers. And God's answer may not be the answer that we expect it to be. But if we've been adopted into his family through Jesus, through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit then whatever it is that we face, whatever answer we get, we must know that it's God is doing it for our good because he loves us as his children. In fact, as we call out to God and process through our fears by speaking with God and listening to his words in the Bible, that actually deepens our trust. So we cry out to God because he can deal with our with our fears, but we also cry out to God because that's how our trust in God grows. It's like any relationship, isn't it? As you speak to someone, as you, as you share your heart and, and what's worrying you as, you, as you speak through that and as you listen to them, that actually encourages you to trust them more and more, doesn't it? And as we cry out to God, as we speak to God and tell him what we're afraid of, that actually helps us to grow in trusting him. It builds our trust in the midst of of our fears. So David fights fear, thinking about these worst case scenarios, reminding himself of who God is. He fights fear by setting his heart on God. He fights fear by calling out to God and, 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 and acknowledging what he's afraid of. Finally, he fights fear by stirring himself up to wait for God. So he says in verse 13, I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. David is confident that God will ultimately deliver him. He might not sort of be around, he might not feel as though God is around at the moment. He might not be seeing the victory at this point in time. But he's confident that he will still see God's goodness in the land of the living. I hope you believe that. I hope you believe, like David, that God will be good to you. That God is good to you. I hope you believe that not just uh, that God will save you if you've entrusted yourself to Jesus, not just that he will uh, forgive you, uh, not just that he will raise you again through Jesus Christ to the resurrection of everlasting life, but I hope that you believe that you will see goodness from God even now. I hope you believe that even amidst the difficulties of this life, that there are still tokens of God's grace and kindness woven into the fabric of our lives. Every day is a testimony, isn't it, to the goodness of God. Every day of sunshine, every day of rain, every meal, every moment of happiness, every moment of joy, every moment of love and kindness... All those things are testimony to the goodness of God in the land of the living. Our lives may not be never-ending parties and celebrations, but even often in the darkest times, there's still tokens of God's love, isn't, isn't there? And it's so important that we see them, 
and rejoice in them. David's hope for seeing the goodness of God is for now, I'll see it in the land of the living. But it also pushes into eternity. His hope is not escape from this life. His hope is not that death will bring an end to the misery of this life. His hope is actually that this life will be so utterly and comprehensively transformed that there will be no more fear or sadness. (laughs) That the land of the living will become a land of uninterrupted blessing and joy. His hope is that this world will be rescued and that God's people will be redeemed. Now, when David expressed that confidence, he had only the dimmest kind of view, the dimmest glimpse of the work of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. He had less reason than we do to wait and to trust God. But we have that hope made more sure, don't we? We have the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have that, we have that seal, that guarantee that God can do what he's promised. We've seen him do it. We can know for certain that though we're afraid, God will win, that God will raise us from the dead, that God will bring us into his new creation, that God will take away every fear, that God will destroy every enemy, that God will stamp out every evil, that God will do everything that he's promised and nothing less. And it's with that kind of hope and trust in the character of God that David encourages himself to to wait. You see, I think it's an important thing for us to realise that waiting is part of the nature of faith. Faith is not just crying out to God, but faith is actually saying, I'm going to wait for an answer. Yeah, faith, it's true that faith small enough to cry out to God is is saving faith. But unless we trust in God enough to wait, then our lives will be lives that are so difficult and so full of fear. Like David, we need to tell ourselves to wait, to stir ourselves up for waiting. We need to say to ourselves, take courage, be strong, wait for the Lord, he's good, he'll do it, he'll win in the end. I was reading a book this week, uh, the biography of a lady named Rosaria Butterfield, who was a lecturer at a university in the States. She was a lecturer in women's studies and in queer studies, that was her major. She's not a Christian, she accidentally became a Christian uh, and one of her friends was, uh, was a drag queen. And her friend said to her, I'm glad that God has answered your prayer because I prayed for healing and he didn't answer mine. But I thought to myself, actually, Psalm 27 speaks into that reality, doesn't it? That faith is not just asking God to heal us, but it's actually waiting and trusting that eventually he will. And it may not be in this age 
that we discover the full healing, uh, the full redemption, uh, full rescue from our sins and and the desires that are entangled within us. But the nature of faith is that we cry out and wait for God because we know that God is a God who can be trusted. They waited for thousands of years for the Christ to come, and he came. And we've been waiting thousands of years for the resurrection of Jesus to overflow and explode into our world, into the resurrection of all God's people. But we have to know, we have to trust that God will do it. I can be confident of this, says David, that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. If you're afraid at the moment or when you experience fear in the future, you need to remind yourself that God is a faithful God a God who can be waited upon and a God who can be relied upon to do what he's promised. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God whose promises and whose character and nature, whose love meets our fears. And Lord, some of us, no doubt, are bound up in fear this morning. Lord, we live, but we live half-lives, terrified, anxious, worried about what might happen. We worry about today, we worry about tomorrow, We worry about food, we worry about our children, we worry about our work, our finances, we worry about the world, we worry about our society, we worry about our church, we worry about our faith, we worry about our waywardness, we worry about our marriages and our relationships. Lord, there's no end to the worries that can ensnare us and drag us down and fill our hearts with fear. Lord, help us to know the truth of David's words. If you are on our side, who can possibly be against us? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of what shall I be afraid? Lord, help us to trust you, to so set our hearts on you, to so delight in you, to so meditate on your goodness, to so anchor ourselves in the cross of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, in the life of Jesus, in the powerful resurrection of Jesus, that all our fears flee away in the light of the glory of your grace and goodness in Jesus Christ. Oh God, strengthen our hearts and encourage us to wait as we see out this life 
in the hope of goodness, not only now, but for eternity. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.